This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Right, so we're continuing with a series called He Who Overcomes. This morning I want to speak to you about a recipe for success. Okay, so quick question, who, who would like to be successful? Yeah, we all want to. Eh? It's part of our, I think God designed us in a way to wanting to achieve things in life. But the question is, what, what, what is true success? What is true success? Because we need to make sure our definitions are right. So true success, or you might say success might be to have a lot of money, to be famous. Uh, maybe success for you would be to own your own house. That'd be, that'd be good. Uh, maybe success for you would be to have a, a good marriage or family. Or maybe success for you is to be at, to, to get to the CEO level or the top of the company. Or maybe success for you to, would be to have your own company or your own business and, and, and it's flourishing. You know, wh- wh- whatever it might be, you know, but we need to ask ourselves, what is true success from God's perspective? Okay, so here we have a ladder, and let's say this ladder represents the ladder of success. Okay, so you want to climb the ladder, and you want to move up step by step into success. So, so let's say your whole life you climb up the ladder, and you come to the top at the end of your life, and you're like, yes, you've done it, yeah. And then you realize that the ladder was against the wrong wall the whole time. You've climbed your whole life, pursuing success, pursuing, trying to achieve something, and you got there, but it was ultimately the wrong wall. It was the wrong purpose, the wrong focus, the wrong mission. Ish. So you wasted your life instead of investing your life well. Or maybe you, you, you know, so maybe you put your, the, the ladder against the right wall, but you only, you only climb up and thinking, man, I'm doing so well. I'm, yes, I am successful. I'm on my way to success. And then before you continue, you fall off the ladder or you give up. Is that success? No. It's about how you finish, ultimately, not how you, how you start. So, what is success? What is true success? Because we need to get our definitions right. As I said, if, you, if, you, if your definition is wrong, you're going to put the, the ladder against the wrong wall. You're going to pursue this your whole life, and you're going to realize, I wasted it. So, there, there are two things that's critical for success. The one is you need to put the, the, the ladder against the right wall in terms of pursuing what is truly of God. But then the other component is you need to start climbing that ladder step by step faithfully and keep on going for the rest of your life until you, re- until you hit it, until you reach it. What is success? I believe success is when you have fulfilled the will of God for your life, when you have fulfilled your destiny. That is ultimately success in God's eyes. And that's what we want to aim for. We want to, one day before you stand before God, and you're going to give an account for your life. And if you've done the will of God faithfully for your whole life, reaching, achieving where you need to go to, then it's a win. 
a life well that, that's been invested well. Now, the challenge is, uh, you know, I want to, I want to, so that's sort of the broad terms. The one is get the ladder against the right wall. And, and connected to that is an eternal mindset. So, so what would be a good general direction for our lives? What would be a, 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 a key ingredient to making sure that your life mission or goal is correctly aligned? Well, I would say one thing. People. Investing in people. Doing good to people. Loving people. Seeing people come closer to Jesus. I think whatever your calling is, whatever your specific calling or destiny is, that component should be an integral part. It is about adding value to people because people are eternal. If you want to invest in eternity, you want to you you please God greatly, invest it in people. If it's selfish, it's just about me, myself, and I, I'm missing it. Okay, So that's part of the, the, the ladder against the right wall. It's not about me. It's about others, and it's about God's will and heart to reaching and touching others, loving others well. Okay, So that's one of the ways to, to just getting your, your, your um, ladder against the right wall. The, the, the other component is the, the daily investments. Daily being faithful, daily doing what you call to, continuously investing in what God calls you to do or, or, or is willed you to do. But what I, just, what I realize also is that in your, it's not like a normal ladder. Well, I'm going to, in my own strength, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go up my ladder. I believe when it comes to, to real God-authored destiny, you can't do that in your own strength. You can't go up those stairs in your own ability. There's the supernatural grace of God that takes you and helps you higher. And then the supernatural grace of God that opens doors for us into the right situations, jobs, ministry opportunities, or whatever it might be. There's the the God component that you you can't do this without God. It's impossible. You know, you've heard that that, that, uh, statement that says, stick to me and I'll make you famous. Now, I believe God is saying that to us. Stick to me. I'll make you successful. Not in human terms, in heavenly terms. Stick to me and I'll make you famous in heaven. I'll make you known in heaven. Stick to me and your life would truly mean something. Stick to me and your life will be significant. Stick to me and your life will be more than just footprints in the sand and the waves come and they wash away your footprints and there's no trace of you. When we live unto God, our lives are meaningful and lasting. And, uh, and I'm sure that's what we want. That's why people want to build monuments, because they want to be remembered. <laughs> but we're not going to build monuments. We're going we're to trust that in, in, in eternity, we will be remembered for what we've invested in the lives of people. Amen. Okay, so I want to chat to you, speak to you about a recipe for success so how, how does this work? You need a few basics you need to get into place, but I want to give you a, a recipe that needs to be part a, of, of the right ingredients in the right way to have the perfect success cake. Okay, you want to have this, the, the right recipe to fulfill your, your life call. Okay, so I'm going to take us to, to Revelation 3, 
verse 7, we're going to look at the, the, the letters or the prophecy that Jesus spoke to John the Apostle to the church in Revelation. This is called the faithful church. Okay, so we're going to look at faithfulness as a recipe, but more than just faithfulness, as a recipe for success in this life. Cool, let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into it. Father, we thank you that your word is alive. Thank you that you've designed each one of us with a desire to be successful. And we pray, God, that this day you'll come and just shift our focus to align our hearts and minds with your word so that your kingdom can come in us and through us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, so the, 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 the starting point would be for you, you need to believe that God wants you to be successful. He wants to bless you. He's a loving father that wants to bless you. But we need to get a few things in place. So let's look at this. Revelation 3, verse 7 to 8, where Jesus speaks to the faith, the, the, the church of Philadelphia, and they were called the faithful church. Listen to what he says. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. No one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Okay, so let's take it from verse 7 there. It says, he who is holy and he who is true. So God, Jesus speaks and says, I am the one who is true. Okay, as I just said, stick to me and I'll make you famous. Stick to me and I'll make you successful. So Jesus is saying, guys, I am true. I'm the truth. In other words, I'm on the, on the right side. I'm, 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 I'm the truth. So when you are on my side, you're on the winning side. So that must be a good starting point for all of us. When we're on the side of Christ Jesus, we are on the winning side. So that's the foundational starting point about committing your life to Christ. You'll never discover your identity or your destiny unless you turn to God. Because when it's only in Him that you discover why you were made, designed, what you were made for, designed for. Okay, so that's the starting point. You know, and, and, and as Jesus says, He is the truth... And, uh, and sometimes you speak to people that don't see things like you. Maybe an atheist, an unbeliever, or maybe just a, a believer, but a different believer. We have different theology. You know, who's ever argued with somebody that sees things differently, you know, spiritually speaking? Eh? Come on, who's ever has got stuck with somebody like we? Like it's a bit of a robust discussion we're having here now. And what I've also discovered is, is that it's rare that argumenting actually wins somebody. It's, it's rare, you know, when somebody is really open. So uh, two weeks ago when we went, went to, to Marmersbury, we were flying to Cape Town. And so I was on the airplane and uh, the Lord gave me a, a word of knowledge for the lady sitting next to me. I think I shared it last week as well. And, uh, and, and it was just so cool um, how God touched her within five minutes um, she was in tears. The plane is hardly lifted off and she was in tears. It was, it was, it was really, really special moment. And then as we started to chat, she said to me that she is a backslidden Jehovah's witness. So I was like starting off to say, you know, Jehovah's witness, their theology. I was like in a halfway in my sentence. And then the guy on the other side started to speak and he interrupted and he said, I am a Jehovah's witness. 
And he's like a pastor, full time. So I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> you must have a lot of faith in me. <laughs> Backslidden Jehovah's Witness, pastor Jehovah's Witness. If anybody who knows, they quite, they train well in their way. So you don't really argue them out of things. So I was just sharing stories with them. The flight went really quickly, was the quickest flight ever. <laughs> and I was just sharing stories of miracles and what God has done and how God has changed lives and God is powerful. And they were like, no, it's not so. God does not powerfully. 1 Corinthians 13, oh, the classic nonsense. But anyway, so we were like, like, like it was robust. Eh? It was, it was like, like a robust, especially with the other guy there. And uh, he lives in Kanubi, and they go house to house and, uh, and invest in people and so forth. But, you know, I, it, they were really nice people, you know. I, it was really, it was actually for me an eye-opener just to listen and to hear their background and where they're coming from. And I honestly, I was, I was very nice to them. I said, man, I, I have respect for JWs, you know. If, the, if we would be as committed as they are, we'd probably have changed the world by now. So, so I was really nice and honoring and, and, and respectful. It was, it was a great discussion. We weren't really moving forward in terms of changing their mindsets. And the, the, but they did, both of them at the end said, man, this was a God moment. And this lady was really touched by the words uh, the Lord gave to her through me. But it stuck with me what they said at the end as we got up to leave. And then the guy said um, something along the lines of, you know, he's never been res- treated with such respect by another belief, by, by a Christian. Because he said normally people treat them like dirt. You know, they even cuss them out. And even Christians, you just send them to hell type of vibe. And, uh, and it was such a moment for me because I realized, you know, the, winning the argument will probably change nothing. But to show them that, you know, to show them love, that is actually the win. And, and, and I believe that that is so critical for us. I think sometimes we miss the main deal as believers. We get so focused on right and wrong. And yes, there is right and there is truth and there is good theology and bad theology. But sometimes we forget that it's about loving people. You know? And I believe that must be at the heart of everything we're doing. Your life core, our, our, our destinies must be, must be covered in loving people well. Amen. So make sure... That is a critical component of what you're doing. And then it goes on there. It says, speaks about the holy, the one who is holy and he who is true. And I was reminded of Isaiah 6 verse 1 where it says that, you know, Isaiah the prophet has incredible encounter. was like taken up into heaven and he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the king high and lifted up. And he saw these angels declaring, holy, holy, holy is he. And then he had this amazing God encounter. He's like, oh, I'm so dirty. I'm so filthy. I can't do this. I must, I'm going to die. And then the angel came with a coal and touched his mouth. And then the Lord said, now go. You're clean. Now go. In other words, you and I can never fulfill our call, our destiny. We can't be successful unless we have an encounter with God. Unless we encounter the living God and he touches us and says, now you are holy, now go, I send you. Okay? So he is true and he is holy. And then he goes on and he speaks about he who has the key of David. 
And that speaks of authority. And a key is someone that opens doors, locks doors. The key of David speaks of governmental authority. So God, Jesus is saying, I have the key. I have the authority. I can open doors for you that no man can open. I can make a way for you. You see, promotion comes ultimately from God. He's the one that opens doors so that we can go to the top of fulfilling our destinies and the call of God. You cannot do it in your own ability. Faithfulness alone is not sufficient. God needs to intervene for you and me to truly succeed in life. Okay, and there's a few examples I can give you. I mean, somebody like Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. Then he chose to be faithful to God and... There was this woman wanting to sleep with him, Potiphar's wife, and then he was, no, I'm going to follow, I'm going to obey God, I'm not, so he ran, and he, he, got, he was punished for it, he was put into jail for it. I mean, so there's a whole life, if you're thinking like Joseph's ladder of success, it was like starting on a minus 20, and then going one step up, and then going back even down further, he's in jail now, for being faithful to God. Wanting to be holy, wanting to obey God. Now he's even in deeper trouble. But the beauty is that he never became bitter from what we can pick up from scriptures. He, he, he never became bitter. In every season, he was faithful. He faithfully served Potiphar. He faithfully served in jail. He faithfully ministered to others who were in trouble. He was always like, I'm going to, basically, I'm going to serve others well. And what happened? The one who has the key of David came and he said, Joseph, I've seen your heart. Joseph, I've seen your faithfulness. No one else has seen it, but I have seen it. Now I promote you. And he opened the door, a door that no man could shut. And he was promoted and and became the second in command of the Egyptian uh, empire. Isn't that awesome? But so on, on this, on this ladder of, of, of being, you know, this, this process of faithfulness, it doesn't always look so good. And it's not like other people might see, but I want to say to you, God sees. When no one else sees, God sees. And, and what, what about David? Same, same thing. As a young man, he was faithful to God. He was this, this, the psalmist, the worshiper in the, in the, in the wilderness, in the caves, as the king was hunting him, as he was being hunted like a dog. And, and, and spoken all these bad things about him and, and he was running away and, 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 but he always like, he, he was the psalmist. He wrote the Psalms, so many of them in that terrible place, which is God, I love you. And what did God do? The one who has the key of David said, I've seen. You've not, reve- you've not taken revenge. You've not taken matters in your own hands. You could have killed Saul, the corrupt, bad king. You've always chosen to be honorable. Now's your time. I promote you. And God opened the door for David. Isn't that beautiful? I just love that when I see that in the scriptures, that we are supposed to be faithful in the small things. And God will take care of the big things. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? Because sometimes we try to take care of the big things. And we take burdens onto our hearts and minds and we lose our joy and, and, and we're stressed. And we're actually out of the will of God because we're trying to do God's work work when we should be doing our little bit by His strength. 
and allow the big things in his hands. Amen? You know, say, so in my life, you know, I must take care of the small things. I must focus on loving my wife well and loving my son well and spending time with them and investing in them well. I can do that, obviously, ultimately by his grace still. But the big thing, building this church, I can't do that. I can't control people. I can't tell people what they must do and how they must do it. Ultimately, God must build the church. God must change lives. God must add or subtract. But when we, it's just in my life, this is my, one of my things, but it could be the same thing in your life. Maybe your workplace, your business, your whatever it might be. Maybe there's something that you are carrying that you should not be carrying. Have you, have you noticed lately that you are not God? Anybody that's come to the realization that you are not God? This is a profound moment in one's life when you realize you are not God. Don't try to do what only God can do. We can't save the world. We can't heal people. We can't deliver people. We can't change our nation or our city in our ability. But we can be faithful in the small things. We can pray. We can seek the face of God. We can love people by his abilities. Those are the small things we can do. But ultimately, the big things, it's in his hands. So I feel that's a word for some of us today. Stop trying to be God. Stop trying to, maybe you're worried about your children. Maybe you're worried about family members. Maybe you're worried about certain things. Hand it over. If you can't change it, give it to God. Take care of the small things. Let him take care of the big things. Come on, say amen. That's a word for somebody here today. Only Jesus can change lives. You can't change your spouse, but you can love him or her well. But only God can change their hearts. So allow God to do what he needs to do and you take care of your part. So let's look at the the next bit. It says, Revelation 3 verse 9. It says, Indeed... I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Okay, now no, no issue with the Jews. In this case, it was just they were Jewish um, believers and they were cast out of the synagogue. Okay, so um, and, and from God's perspective, these Jews weren't real Jews. They were saying they're Jews, but they weren't. Okay, but we like Jews. We like people. Don't do anti-Semitic rubbish. Okay, Jesus loves, loves the Jews and he's a Jew himself. Okay, cool. Amen. Okay. There's actually, I saw now, there's a, a TV ministry in America where they are promoting a lot of anti-Semitic things, anti-Jew stuff. And then the guy did an altar call on TV where he said, all the Christians now repent of being um, honorable toward Jews or toward Israel because you are sinning against God. So I just want to say... We support Israel. We don't agree with everything they do, but the Bible says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So, so please, let's not get weird about things. Okay, awesome. So anyway, so, so in this case, he says that this is so powerful. I believe there's a principle for our lives where it says, indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. So these are people who have been persecuting the Christians. They cast them out of the synagogue. They're probably not doing business with them. They're they, they, they bad-mouthing them in the community, in the city. I mean, these Christians are taking shots, but they are being faithful to God. They have not denied the name of Christ. They, they're being faithful. And then the, the Lord says, 
because you've been faithful, I'm going to, well, possibly this means that these people are going to turn to Christ. They're going to come worship before your feet. How cool would that be? How cool would it be if your worst enemy or your greatest persecutor would turn to Jesus and come and worship in church here next to you? You might think, no, I don't want them here. <laughs> God loves even our enemies. He loves them. He wants to reach them. So revenge for me would be them turning to Christ. <laughs> See, I told you he's awesome. <laughs> I love when that happens. This one encounter with God changes everything. Amen. So last week, Sunday night, one of the guys in church, he, he has a doctorate in psychology. And he, uh, he really battles in his head concerning the miraculous. He's doubting that miracles are for today. And he feels like these so-called healing miracles are just people making it up. It's placebo effect or whatever else. So he's really battling in his head. So he, last week, Sunday night, he was, he was here. And uh, two weeks before, he, he tore the ligaments around his knee, left knee. He was on crutches for two weeks. So he just came off the crutch about a day before. He was in the service, a lot of pain in his knee, and he can't walk up the stairs. And he, yeah, Anyway, he was really battling. So at the end of the service, I said, man, let's pray for you. So I prayed with him, and I said, now test your knee. So he went like, I think it feels better. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Prayed again, and then I said, well, and it felt, it felt better. I said, how would you know that it's truly healed? Now, he said, well, if I walk up these stairs. Now, you should have seen this. This was just amazing. So he's standing over here, and he walks up, and he walks up, and then he stops. He stops, and his head drops, and the tears start running down his face because there's no pain. And Jesus just healed him. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Hallelujah. He had such a God encounter, the love of your tears, just experiencing the love of God. You see, we are one encounter away from changing our minds, changing our way of thinking. We are one encounter away. In the same way with our enemies. We don't have really have enemies from our side, but maybe from their side. We don't have enemies. We don't, people might despise or hate or be angry or persecute, but it's like, man, you're just, you're just one encounter away. You want what I have. <laughs> and how confident are you in what we have in Christ? Our God is real. And I followed up with this guy two days later. He was still healed. Not 100% healed, but he had no pain. The muscles were just a little bit weak around the knee. Praise God. Jesus heals. Amen. Hallelujah. So it says, I'll, I'll come and they will come and worship you before your feet and to know that I have loved you. You see, and, and this is so important for us to, to put our desires in the hands of God. People might be negative about you. People might say bad things about you behind your back. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, when we are faithful to God, He will intervene on our behalf at some point. Amen. If not in this life, in the next, because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It says, because you have kept my command to persevere. In other words, you can't go up the stairs and then stop at some point. You must keep on. You must keep on pursuing God. You must keep on. And then he says then, this is so powerful. It says, behold, verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly. In other words, there's not a lot of time. You need to now start climbing your ladder. You now need to pursue God. Now need to pursue what God has called you to do. And it says, hold fast what you have. 
that no one may take your crown. Come on, say it. Hold fast. Hold fast. What you have that no one may take your crown. So you're climbing up the ladder and it's getting high. It's not a little ladder like this one. It's we're up there, ceiling. We're up there. And he says, hold fast what you have. Let no one take your crown. In other words, let no one take your reward. You have a reward from God. You have a reward from the Lord. But you need to hold fast what you have. You need to hold fast what you... You need to hold on to what God has given to you. What is this saying to us? There's a crown. There's a reward coming. But if you don't hold fast what you have as you go up, you might fall from grace like David did. He got passive. He didn't go out to war. He didn't continue to climb the ladder of his destiny. He didn't go out the time that the king should go out to, to battle. What did he do? He started to look around. And he looked at another woman, slept with her, and it was destructive. Generational destruction that followed because of his unfaithfulness. And I believe God is saying to us right now, hold fast what you have. How's your heart? How's your heart? Disillusioned? Offended, bitter with God, given up, you're going to fall from grace. You're going to fall from your destiny. You're going to lose it. Hold fast what you have. Hold fast to your spouse. He or she is the best thing that has happened to your life beyond Jesus Christ. All the married people. Amen. She or he is the best thing. Hold fast. Hold fast. Don't get distracted. It's not better on the other side of the fence. It's not greener. It's only greener because there's more manure. <laughs> Amen. It's a stuff up over there. <laughs> you see, and this part of what the enemy comes and he comes and he, he whispers, he comes and taps on our hearts to look somewhere else. No, yeah, yeah, not, not being happy with what you have, with what God has blessed you with. I mean, we see this. This is terrible when people start on their good journey and somewhere, somehow, the heart loses its way. Oh, I want a divorce. I'm over this. And you lose everything. You destroy your children's lives. You destroy your partner's life. Can God redeem and restore and heal? Yes, He can. But what if his primary plan was with you and your spouse, these two now? What if that was God's plan? Don't allow the enemy to come and steal. It says they hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Come on, say hold fast. So that no one can take your crown. Don't allow your heart to drift. Don't allow your heart to lose the fire, the passion. That first love, even what Ellen spoke of, that first love. It's a stuff up outside of the will of God. You fall from grace. Go ask King David one day when you are in heaven. You can ask him. And he wishes he didn't do it. Generational destruction because of his, his lack of faithfulness. When you fall from grace, you lose it. It's pain for everybody. Can God restore? Yes. So even if you've gone down that path of divorce or adultery, whatever it might be, God can restore. His heart is to restore and to heal. He can, but there's a lot of pain on that journey. 
Okay, so let's hold fast. Let's not allow the enemy to mess up our hearts. So let's continue. Recipe for success. This is the recipe for success is do small things with great faith. Do small things with great faith. Because it's often the, the, the question, is it enough to be faithful? No, it's not enough to be faithful. You need to be full of faith as well. Because faith causes great impact. But you need to be faithful and you need to have faith. Doing small things with great faith is the key. Be faithful in small things. He says, Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Small things. But I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of our Lord. Of your Lord. You've been faithful in the few Now, you're a ruler. Are you seeing it? Promotion comes from God. And so the Lord comes to us. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible. Come on, say impossible. Impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, You need more than faithfulness. You need faith as well if you want to please God. Because faith will take you where you need to go. Faithfulness helps you on that journey, but faith will stretch you. Faith will push you. Faith will help you dream. Faith will take you where you otherwise would never have gone. Faith without faithfulness is presumption. So if you say, I've got great faith for great things, but you're doing nothing. To move that way, you're being presumptuous. You're living, living in la-la land. It's like you, 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 you're missing it. You can't have faith but not have faithfulness. Uh, for me, like, you know, believing God's going to use me in, in, in evangelistic crusades. And I've got words about multitudes and incredible things that God is wanting to do. And, but now, now I was pondering it in the past. Like, like how's this going to happen? Is someone just going to ask me to? How's it going to happen? Then I realized, no, start where you are. You can't say you want to do evangelistic crusades, but you're not leading people to Christ as a lifestyle. You have to start somewhere. You, know, you have to start somewhere. You can't say, well, I believe I want to be an author one day, but you're not practicing your skill. You're not trying. You're not, you're not, you're not working at it. You're not, you're not, write the blog. Come on, start somewhere. You need to start somewhere. Be faithful with that, and then God can promote you into something beautiful. Amen. Otherwise, you're just daydreaming. You know, you can't say, man, I want to be a successful businessman, but you're not starting where you are. You have to do a course or two. You have to connect yourself with those who know something about business. You have to start doing things on the side, even if you're still an employee for somebody else. You need to get busy doing what you need to do to walk in the direction. You need to start going up your stairs. One by one, faithful, faithful, faithful. But God, I have faith, and faith is pulling me to the top. Otherwise, you're just going to go through the motions. You're just going to go through the motions. And you're going to miss out on all that God has for you. But also, faithfulness without faith is reduction, or it reduces you. Minimal impact, lack of energy, lack of strength. You know, you're just going through the motions. No, but faith moves us. Faith moves us. So what would it look like? Doing small things with great faith. I mean, even in, a, in the sport world, if you have a, a desire for certain, to achieve certain things, you have to put out your faith. 
Even though you might say, oh, I don't know if I can do this. You need to put out your faith and say, man, I believe I can do the comrades. Okay? So you decide, man, I can do the comrades. I believe I can do the comrades. But you don't train. Because I have faith. I'm a man of faith. I'm powerful. So you pitch up there. Luckily, they have a, you have to finish a, a race. They, they, they're smart because they know someone's going to be stupid. <laughs> so, you, so you have to do a 40K to qualify for the comrades. Okay? But point being is there's a, a journey you need to walk on to strengthen yourself in this thing that you are trusting for. I believe I can do a comrades. I, can, I believe I can finish it. There's so much that's in our belief system that empowers us to fulfill uh, certain goals in our lives. Another example would be finances. If you're faithful with finances, but you don't have faith, it will lead to hoarding, being stingy. But man, I'm faithful. But you're missing out because faith is going to push you into joyful, extravagant giving. <laughs> and then you access the resources of heaven. God then pours. It's like, man, you're faithful. I'm going to give you more. You are faithful with faith. You are, you, you're adding faith to the small things. You're doing small things with faith. Man, I can, I can trust you. I'm going to bless you. You need to add faith to your financial stewardship. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on all that God has given to you. Amen. Okay, faith and faithfulness. And then just to end off with this. If you want to fulfill... Your destiny. You need to do small things with great faith. Because <laughs> then your big God is going to do great things on your behalf. Amen. But you need to believe that my life is significant. Yesterday morning at, at, at Encounter 3, uh, I just felt the Lord say to me, impart significance to my people. If, if you don't believe that your life is significant, it's connected to faith. If you don't believe that your life is significant, you will never try to achieve anything of significance. So you need to believe, my life is significant. But you don't need to do big things to be significant. You must just do small things with great faith, and your life will ultimately be significant. The classic example, making scrambled eggs. Is that significant? Doesn't, I don't think it's significant. But let's say you're making scrambled eggs for the Queen of England. I am so significant. I could kill her. I could change Britain forever. I've got power. <laughs> you know? So, so, so who you are doing it for ultimately determines the significance that you have. So if you do everything that you do, every part of your life, you say, God, I'm doing this unto you. God, I'm going to love my wife unto you. I'm not just doing this for myself. I'm doing this for you, Jesus, because you've given her to me as a gift from heaven. And I'm to steward this gift. And she needs to look prettier every week in Jesus' name. But if I say, but I'm doing this as unto God, it changes the game. This is significant. Or if I spend time with my son and I'm saying, God, I believe the prophetic words you've given to me about my son. And he's going to be a world changer. He's going to impact so many lives. So when I just play Scrabble with my son, 
It's significant. It's significant. I'm playing Scrabble with a world changer. <laughs> I'm imparting to him, Vian, you're valuable. Vian, you are important enough. Vian, when I, I, I'm an important person, I'm pastor of the church, and I'm spending time with you. Man, Vian, you are important. No one else gets to play Scrabble with me. You're special, Vian. And that means God the Father loves you and believes in your life is significant. And what if we, you and I would start living like that? Everybody around us, we impart significance to them. We have no idea who they are. We have no idea what God can do through them. I, I heard this, uh, someone shared this story. Um, it was, it was a, a, a guy living on the streets. And somebody, I think it was one of our guys in Shofar, Durbanville, in, in that church. And he treated this street guy... Differently. I think he took him into his home or something and he, he really, you know, he just really felt led to, to, to bless this guy and to believe in him. And I think he lost track about the guy, but some years later it came out that that guy that was on the streets was a teacher that lost his way, became hopeless, found himself on the streets. But because of his, this guy's kindness and love for this man, his life got turned around. He became a headmaster of a school. And he's impacting hundreds and hundreds of young people for Jesus now. Isn't that huge? You have no idea who you are working with. You have no idea the so-called insignificant person that you are interacting with now, what God can do through them. You might not have crowds of thousands, but you could impact one person's life that would impact thousands. And that's as good as, as if you impacted their lives. Amen. So what if you and I would start living differently? I believe this is one of the keys. You need to believe that your life is significant. You need to believe that your call is significant. If you don't, you're not going to have faith. You're going to go through the motions. You're going to miss out on all that God has called you to. Come on, let's say it. My life is significant. Come on, say it. I have a significant destiny. And God has called me to impact the lives of people for Him. Amen. If you and I would do small things like normal interactions with ordinary people, if we would do small things with great faith, I believe it's a recipe for success. Heavenly success. Eternal success. Where the kingdom of God would come through our lives so beautifully. Amen. Come on, say it, I believe. Come on, say it, I'm going to stick to Jesus. He's going to make me successful. <laughs> Amen. May the Lord stir your faith this morning. I'll never forget this, what Chris Valentin said. He felt God say this to him. So it was just such a, such a God word where he said, I was saved when I believed in Jesus. But I was transformed when I realized He believes in me. Amen. Your heavenly Father believes in you. He believes in you. He's proud of you. He's excited about your life. He's like, that's my boy. 
Amen. Dean, can you come here, brother? I want to share that story you shared with us yesterday. Hey, guys. Um, I've lived most of my, my life um, impressing people. I guess I've grown up in a surfing community where all you do is party and do whatever you want to do. Um, and uh, <laughs> a couple of years back at a, a men's camp, I had some experience that was better than anything I've ever done, any, anything I've ever taken some bad things and uh, I just not you know I've got a friend who um, was also in a, in a very bad way um, and is really serving God and he said to me you know unfortunately in people's eyes it's uncool to serve God you know um, especially in that sort of community and if you're living your life here coming here to church and um just because you need to be here, but not putting it out there, then you might as well not be coming. So, I, 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 God never spoke to me ever again after that. I never felt the power of God until yesterday when we were praying here. And I kept on saying, Lord, speak to me, Lord, speak to me. And nothing happened. And then eventually, there was this audible thing in my head. And it was Dean. But even when that first word came out, my whole body was like 3,000 volts joy that went through me it was Dean my son you've forgiven and I think I must have cried for 10 minutes <laughs> and I was taught never to cry because that's how I grew up grew up tough you don't cry but yeah uh, if you're not going to put it out there uh, God is not going to going to work in you and I've got a lot of persecution from some guys but um, take the persecution and just it's all for the glory of God thank you Awesome. One encounter with the love of God changes everything. And so I want to encourage you this morning that God wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal to you how much He loves you. And He wants to say to you, like to Dean, my son. (laughs) My son, how can you not be significant when you're a child of the King? Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.